Okay, let's get it. It is the Locked on LSU podcast, your team every day. I'm Matt Moscona. Glad to have you aboard with us. What a day Sunday turned out to be in these parts. Will Wade reinstated as LSU head men's basketball coach. Emmett Williams, maybe with a few breadcrumbs about his impending decision. LSU baseball, they lose a road series at Missouri. As always, we'll get to your Q&A to wrap up the podcast. Can't imagine what you might want to discuss on today's episode. Glad to have you board with us here. Let's start with the news. Sunday night, LSU with their statement that Will Wade has been reinstated as LSU head men's basketball coach. Both LSU and Wade releasing statements through the university. Um, first of all, kudos to to LSU for recognizing a uh, a news dump opportunity where it would be buried on the day <laughs> on the day that Tiger Woods wins his first major in eleven years. Uh, one of the biggest, not hyperbole, one of the biggest sporting stories of our lifetimes. Uh, is Tiger Woods' comeback, and LSU buries this story amid the reaction to Tiger Woods winning the Masters and the Game of Thrones season premiere. (laughs) If you want something to go completely unnoticed, that was a pretty good way to do it, uh, except for those intimately plugged into the college basketball world. But uh, LSU, again, released their statement through uh, via Joe Oliva. You've read it by now. But the point I think that we need to focus on is uh, the middle part of, of Joe Oliva's statement, which read, the university regrets that Coach Wade did not choose to fulfill his obligations to LSU when he was first asked to do so. However, the seriousness of the allegations and Coach Wade's prior refusal to refute them could not be ignored without exposing the university and the basketball program to great risk. Protecting LSU and preserving our integrity must always be our first priority. Um, There was one on-the-record comment that I read in all of the coverage of the Will Wade situation, and Ross Dellinger at Sports Illustrated got it from a Board of Supervisors member where he talked about lack of institutional control. It's something I've mentioned here a bunch. It was always the fear, and you saw it there as well. Will Wade mentioned it in his... um, statement as well when he said quote I completely understand that without my denying or explaining the media reports accusing me of wrongdoing LSU was left with no choice but to suspend me until I was willing and able to meet with them any other course of action would have put the program and the university at risk end quote it's what they're they have come together to agree on that verbiage because as I've explained many times and some of you have called me a mouthpiece of the university I <laughs> This is me trying to explain their action, not saying that I agree with it, but this was their line of thinking. The thought is you want to avoid lack of institutional control charges. If your head coach is reportedly on a federal wiretap discussing payment for a player and you do nothing, that's when the NCAA could have caused to slap you with lack of institutional control. If they do that, then your entire athletic department is an open book. They can come and investigate everything. That's what happened with Ole Miss. That's exactly what you want to, to, to avoid. So it's why LSU felt compelled to, to suspend Will Wade instead of allowing him to continue to coach. Had Will Wade done what Sean Miller did or what Bruce Pearl did and gone and met with his bosses, this all could have been rectified sooner. He wasn't in a position. Wade wasn't in that position to do it. So they didn't. My take all along has been 
you knew back in October that he was on a federal wiretap. This day was inevitable. You should have had your ducks in a row. They didn't. Uh, but nonetheless, the point that I also made all along to anybody who would, who would listen is if LSU wanted to fire Will Wade, they would have fired Will Wade. They never wanted to fire Will Wade. They recognize he's a great young basketball coach. They know he can recruit. They know he has tremendous fan support. They saw him win the SEC in year two. They saw the PMAC packed, and they saw the, the receipts, no doubt, from ticket sales and concessions, and they wanted Will Wade to return, and they were willing to be patient. I also believe that the timing is not coincidental in that the spring signing period starts on Wednesday. And you have got to have your head coach in place to be able to piece together this recruiting class or save what you can to this recruiting class since Will Wade has been suspended during this time. Uh, there's also this idea, or there's been this idea I've heard a good bit, that the the three underclassmen that declared last week, Skylar Mays, Javante Smart, Emmett Williams, they did so sort of as a coup to... Uh, to force the administration's hand to make a move on Will Wade. I want to tell you flatly that that is silly. That's a just a very wrong assumption and silly. We've also said on this podcast in many different places for the last month plus that, and really all season, that every one of these players should declare for the draft and go through the process. It, it doesn't hurt them at all. Tremont Waters did it a year ago. You saw Antonio Blakeney do it as well. You can go through the process. You can gather information. You can talk to scouts. You can talk to front office personnel. You can go to the combine. You can hear feedback from NBA teams to see what they like, what they don't, what you should work on. Literally all of these players should do that. And you had a trio of them. do Now, let's be clear. Tremont Waters and Oz Reed are gone, and they're not coming back. But the other three... You always had a really good chance of getting them back, and Emmett Williams sort of spoke to that as well. Um, Emmett Williams was uh, was uh, doing a youth camp down in Florida, and he told the news press there in Florida that he was going through this draft process to get feedback from NBA executives and scouts. Said that he loves LSU and that, you know, the quote from Emmett Williams, a lot of people don't understand how it works. All I did was enter my name so I can get feedback from the NBA. It's not like I'm leaving college or anything. I can always go back and do my full four years, still get my degree. I just put my name in there to see how everything goes and what the feedback will be. I just want their opinion and what I need to work out for next year. Thank you, Emmett Williams. <laughs> to everyone who thinks that this is a coup, that this was players trying to put pressure on the administration, no. This is how the process worked works now. Emmett also said, quote, I learned a lot in college. I love LSU. It's like another home, end quote. This is how the process works. It's going to happen every year. If you keep getting good potential NBA players in your program, they're all going to do this. There are more than 80 prospects already, 80, 80 underclassmen that have declared for the draft. There are only 60 players that will be drafted. The process benefits the players. They should all go through it. So be patient. By the end of May, I think you have a great shot of getting two, if not all three, of them back, understanding Nas and Tremont are gone and are not coming back. So uh, brighter days for LSU basketball. It is worth noting, and we'll, we'll uh, put a button on the way talk here with this, that federal trial starts a week from today, a week from Monday the 22nd. 
there, the federal judge has still not ruled yet if Will Wade and Sean Miller's subpoenas will be upheld and they'll be required to come testify in court. So that's something that's still out there. Although federal prosecutors have requested that those subpoenas be dropped, that judge has not yet ruled. So that's something that's still out there. That's one. Number two, the NCAA could still investigate LSU. They could still open a formal investigation into the LSU basketball program and this, these Will Wade allegations. They have not done so of yet, but they could. So while this is certainly a, an uptick uh, for LSU basketball, it is not by any means the end of this story. As it develops, we'll certainly keep you posted, but a very, very positive day and occurrence for LSU basketball. All right, it is the Locked On LSU podcast, your team every day. Let me knock out a quick break. We'll come back. Uh, LSU baseball, they lose two out of three on the road against Missouri. We'll recap that series, um, which was a insult and injury series for LSU baseball. We'll get to that in your questions here in a bit. It is Locked On LSU, your team every day. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. We continue Locked on LSU, your team every day. I'm Matt Moscona. Remember, you can hear us on the new Himalaya Podcast app if you've not tried it yet. The Locked on Podcast Network, proud partnership with the Himalaya Podcast app. Podcasting is all about customization. Customize your podcast experience with the new Himalaya Podcast app. Download it and uh, subscribe to the Locked on LSU podcast. So a, a really disappointing weekend for the LSU baseball Tigers uh, as they went on the road and. Um, and they lose a series to Missouri, a team that came in to the weekend with a sub-500 conference record at 5-6-1, a team that was 12th in the SEC in team batting average, a team that had really struggled to score runs, and, uh, and the Tigers got handcuffed. Uh, it was as odd a series as I've seen in recent memory. Um, Sunday was ugly, which we'll get to. Friday started... Uh, what, all three games had bits of of gore in them. It was not a fun series to watch. Uh, we'll, let's go to the series, and then we'll talk big picture here in a second as far as where LSU stands and what's ahead and, and things like that. The biggest storyline to come out of the weekend were the injuries. And in game one on Friday night, LSU wins it in 10 innings, a 12-11, to 11, a really great, resilient win. And I, in the SEC... They all count the same. That's a cliche, but it's also fact. Uh, a, a win, a road win over second-ranked Georgia counts the same as a road win over unranked Missouri in extra innings. They all count the same in the SEC standings. So to get that win in 10 innings was awesome because it got you one closer to your, your magic number of 20 in the conference. You make no apologies for it. You move on to the next. If you did not see Friday night, Zach Hess exited after 13 pitches. Uh, he Missouri has a very weird setup. Again, another reason why this whole weekend was just odd. It was freezing. There was snow on Sunday. There's a turf infield. 
which wreaked havoc on on LSU a good bit of the weekend, which we can talk about, namely Brock Mathis. But um, Zach Hess was thrown to pitch, and it looked like his his spike got caught in the mound, which is an artificial surface, that rubber surface. It's not a dirt mound. And it looked like his spike got caught, and he had a little hitch when he was on his follow-through, and he had to exit the game with a a groin injury after just 13 – excuse me, he threw eight pitches. Zach Hess threw just eight pitches in – in in that that first inning. So Zach Cass gives you eight pitches and now you have to go onto your bullpen with a full weekend ahead. Mikhail Hilliard cold has to come off the bench, go warm up and pitch. He threw a hundred pitches for LSU right on the number, gave LSU four and a third. He allowed six runs on seven hits. He struck out five and walked three. And while that is not a great looking stat line, and I will grant you that, the fact that that Missouri scored six runs before LSU recorded an out, it's staggering to consider the Tigers came back to win this game. But they did. And Mikhail Hilliard, I thought, did a fantastic job after that first inning. He threw up three consecutive zeros, which gave LSU a chance to come back and take the lead on Missouri. Um, and t- the Tigers scored three in the first, he scored five in the third, and then three in the fourth. And LSU was up eleven to six, and you're thinking, okay, all right. You know they they rebounded from that hideous start. They they pounded the baseball off of a really good starter and Jacob Cantleberry, who only went three innings. Uh, Missouri would rally and tie it, but LSU would win it in the tenth. So awesome. Todd Peterson was spectacular in relief. Um, Devin Fontenot came in in the ninth and needed just ten pitches to get him in order. Peterson gave him three innings. It was it was a a resilient win considering the adversity they faced. Now, they faced more adversity as well because during that game, Zach Watson was trying to leg out a ground ball on the infield, and when he lunged for the base, he landed awkwardly on it and strained a muscle in his leg, and he didn't play the rest of the weekend, which is brutal. Uh, And then on Saturday, while swinging and missing at a pitch, Chris Reed strained a muscle, and he wouldn't play the rest of Game 2 or in Game 3. So LSU went through games two and three without their two and four hole hitters. For any lineup, if you take out your two and four hole hitters, you're going to feel an effect. For this lineup, if you remove your two and four hole hitters, that is devastating. And it was. LSU only managed to score one run on Saturday uh, against TJ Sikama, who is Missouri's ace, and he was spectacular. And then LSU just... It was a terrible performance by Eric Walker on Sunday uh, where he got LSU in a hole early and the Tigers just couldn't climb out of it. Uh, They put two runs on the board in the sixth and then a three spot in the eighth, but that was it. The hole was just too deep, and the Tigers lose 11-5 to as Missouri bangs out 14 hits um, uh, against LSU. Walker gave up uh, six runs on eight hits through four innings pitched. Matt Beck came in and allowed two runs. Aaron George allowed two runs. And then even Devin Fontenot got touched up in his lone inning of work um, as he allowed two runs to score on uh, on two hits. So a Missouri team which had not hit all year uncharacteristically hit against LSU, and the bats went cold in large part because it was freezing outside and you missed two of your more productive bats in the lineup. It was a disappointing weekend. There's no way around it. Um, the... The big picture for LSU right now, which I don't think can be ignored, 
is that in spite of losing that st- that series, while you're now one game off the pace of 20 and 10, which is the magic number we talk about, uh, you're still at nine and so you like to be at 10 and five, but they're still at nine and six right now in the conference, and you are one game off the West lead from Mississippi State, who's 10 and five, uh, and you own a series win over Mississippi State as well, so. You go into into this weekend and you're taking on a Florida team which has had an uncharacteristically brutal season. Florida has a record reversal of LSU's. They're six and nine in the SEC and twenty four and fourteen overall. It's been an uncharacteristically bad year for Florida where they don't pitch it very well. This is a this is a series at home where LSU has to rebound. You've got to take two out of three against Florida at home. After that. You go on the road against Alabama, which is the worst team in the SEC at four and eleven. Um, you've got back-to-back series here where you can make some hay and make up ground. Then you'll come home against Ole Miss, who's tied with you right now at nine and six in the conference. And then you're on the road against Arkansas. I'm sorry. Then you're on the road against Arkansas, uh, and then home against Auburn to wrap up. And Auburn's eight and seven right now in the conference. They're a middle of the pack team. So. You like we mentioned, record-wise, the schedule lightens up for LSU. But that was also the case this weekend at Missouri in a series LSU should have won and they lost it. So now you've got to make up some ground and you just have no more margin for error to lose a series the rest of the way if you're trying to pace toward 20. Um, as we get closer to the weekend, we'll preview the Florida series, but there's there's no denying it was a hideous weekend for LSU. They've got to get healthy and you're hopeful that Watson and Reed will be ready to go for for this weekend against Florida the bigger question is going to be Zach Hess if his groin does not allow him to pitch this weekend what do you do my first guess is Cole Henry throws Friday Mikhail Hilliard throws Saturday and then Eric Walker stays on Sunday unless if you can get some option available on Sunday be it uh, if if you're not satisfied with Walker, is Marceau healthy enough to go? That doesn't feel like a great option right now. You know, could you start Matt Beck? Do you try Todd Peterson in a starting role again? He gave you three masterful innings of relief um, on on uh, on Friday. Those are options and options that Paul Maneri is going to have to consider along with Alan Dunn going into this weekend if Zach Hess is not available. But they got a midweek game, the Wally Pond of Classic, which is always a lot of fun. They'll play ULL on Tuesday in the Pontiff Classic and then uh, host Florida for a three-game series at the box. All right, it is Locked on LSU, your team every day. Final break, we'll come back and do a little Facebook Live Q&A. Glad you're with us. Locked on LSU, your team every day. Okay, wrapping up another edition of the Locked on LSU podcast, your team every day. Again, if you have not done so yet, please subscribe. I appreciate that very much. And if you're listening on iTunes, Please leave a rating if it's a one, if it's a five, don't care. Any rating is just massively helpful as far as how we get structured there within their uh, within the iTunes uh, system. So if you would, please leave a rating. We'd appreciate that. All right, we wrap up with a little Facebook Live Q&A. If this is your first time listening or watching, uh, go like my Facebook page, at Matt Moscona AFR. Uh, set notifications whenever we go live, usually in the 10 a.m. hour central time on weekdays. Jump aboard with us, get your question answered real-time, and you could become moderately podcast famous, like Justin Reyes, who gets to start, Reyes, uh, who says, Matt, with injuries and lack of production at the plate, do you still see this team with a top-eight seed 
and going to Omaha. Uh, I do. No reason to budge from it now. I've ridden them all the way to this point. I still think uh, you've got to get guys healthy. And with Hess, Henry, Walker, a little tenuous. We'll see if you get Marso Hill back at some point. Um, here, here's how, okay? You're, I'll, I'll lay it out for you mathematically, all right? You're nine and six in the conference right now. Let's say you take two of three from Florida. You go to 11 and seven. You go to Alabama. You should take two out of three, and you'll have a chance to sweep. So I'll put you at, th- let's say you're 13 and eight at that point, potentially, potentially 14 and seven, but let's say 13 and eight. You're home against Ole Miss. It's a home series against a team you should absolutely beat. You go to 15 and nine at that point. And then you've got two series left against Arkansas and Auburn. Uh, the Arkansas series is on the road, but you have owned Arkansas. And I think you can take two there. That gets you to 17 wins. And then you're home against Auburn. If you can sweep Auburn, you get to 20. If you take two against Auburn, you're at 19. I think this year, 19 and 11 will win the SEC West. And if it comes down to a tiebreaker with Mississippi State, you beat them head-to-head, so you would own the tiebreaker. You would be the SEC West champion. You would be at 19 wins in conference play. That should be enough for a national seed, even if it's the eighth seed. And we all know Palmineri owns the SEC baseball tournament, so if he goes and wins the Palmineri Invitational again, that would solidify a national seed. And if you're a national seed... I'm not saying no one can beat LSU at the box uh, in a Super Regional. We saw Stony Brook do it. We saw Coastal Carolina do it. But I think we'd all agree that the odds of making it to Omaha increase dramatically if, in fact, you are uh, a national seed. So you've left yourself really no margin for error, but I also think LSU's favored in every series the remainder of the way. The series at Arkansas is the tough one. They've got Isaiah Campbell, who's a stud. Remember, LSU beat Isaiah Campbell last year in the SEC tournament. It was Hess and Campbell, and they both threw BBs. It was an awesome game. But after Campbell, who's a righty, by the way, so that favors LSU. After Campbell, Arkansas really doesn't pitch it great. So they got a good lineup. They got a stud number one. But after that, they drop off a little bit. Um, so in, it'll be interesting. That's that's the one to watch for sure is that Arkansas series. But, yeah, I, I'll ride them still at this point. Uh, ebbs and flows in the baseball season, man. You still got half your you're halfway through conference play. Uh, Stephen Beach, Will Wade, Will Wade, uh, check for bugs in the office as soon as he gets in. Um, actually, what he should do is either own a burner phone or don't be on those phone conversations to begin with. But touche on your point. Steven, bro, any updates on the injuries from this weekend? Not yet. A pulmonary does meet with the media Mondays in his office. So it's an informal media gathering to, to do things like update injuries and so on. I would assume that both Watson and Reed would be good this weekend. The one that I think you'd be concerned about is Zach Hess with the groin injury. For a pitcher, especially on his plant leg, That's um, I would think that that's it at least a couple of week injury. And if that's the case, it shuffles LSU's rota- its weekend rotation uh, at a time where it can ill afford injuries. But maybe Mikhail Hilliard um, popping a little bit this weekend, you know, giving you 100 pitches, showed you he's he's a guy that's the prime candidate to, to in- step into the rotation if you need a guy to do it. Shelly Malasaw, thoughts on Tony Benford staying or going? Rumors now that Will Wade is back. Um it is interesting that Benford is still here. 
because of the reports out of Texas A&M that he was going there. My assumption would be if you are a new coach and you are hiring a staff, you would absolutely want that staff in place before the signing period started. Signing period starts Wednesday. If Tony Benford were leaving, this is just my guess, he'd already been gone. So I'm going to go ahead and operate under the assumption that Tony Benford's going to be back um, next year at LSU. Cameron Kemp, thoughts on basketball recruiting? I think having Wade back is a tremendous help. The five-star forward out of Alabama, they were certain they were getting him before Will Wade's suspension. And with him back, I would go ahead and assume that that they're going to be able to close the deal on that. No reason not to. I think it also matters how many spots that they're going to have available. You've had five players declare, but I think you could have three come back with Mays, Smart, and Williams. If the three of them come back, then you've only got the two open spots with Tremont and Nas Reed. So uh, you know, we'll have to wait and see how many spots they have available because that's unknown at this point, but I think they're going to do just fine. Uh, let's see. Jackie Caruso with Wade back. How many players for sure will be back? Jackie, I don't think that Will Wade's suspension had anything to do with it had anything to do with those players declaring for the draft. The players declaring for the draft were was their opportunity to go gather information. And my assumption is that based on what they hear, and I'm guessing all three of them will not hear favorable things for this year, that they'll they'll be back. The one that I that I worry the most about is Emmett Williams because Emmett uh, was a guy who throughout this year had flirted with the notion of being a one and done. Uh, but even Emmett said this weekend at his camp down in Florida that he loves LSU and he's just going through the process to get information. Uh, he alluded to the fact that he could be a four-year guy at LSU. Uh, Jared O'Quinn, you think LSU needs a batting coach or a psychiatrist? Jared, quite honestly, I'm tired of answering the question about the about the hitting coach. Um, I think it is a super overplayed narrative that's been um, thrown around in the echo chamber among LSU fans. Uh, I think you have some guys that are uh, freshmen that you hope to count on that are underperforming or not performing at all. Uh, Saul Garza was a guy that hit 23 bombs last year. I think the step up in competition, he just hasn't adjusted well. Um, and then injuries have been another part of it as well. I, I don't think, I don't think the hitting coach narrative is one that holds a ton of water. I think you're seeing really good pitching, and LSU has a left-handed heavy lineup that's just not faring well against dominant arms. That's just kind of the nature of it. And still, they're nine and six in conference right now, and in a really, really good spot. Uh, halfway through the conference. Let's see. Um, any more we'll get to. Stephen Miller, bigger concerns for hitting or pitching? Uh, the answer is absolutely hitting. Uh, but if the injuries don't rectify on the mound, that's a massive concern because you can win with subpar hitting and dominant pitching. We saw Florida win a national championship with an average offense, but they had dominant arms. If Hess, Henry, Walker, Marceau, Hilliard, Hill, Stores, Peterson, Fontenot, Beck, if they're all there, you got a hell of a staff, and you can beat anybody if you got that staff healthy. Um, but if they're not, then you got to swing the bats. Nathan Somed, uh, Madam in Baton Rouge, working. I want to get your autograph for me and my son. I'd have, I'd happily, do, I, I swear, I just read that one cold. I didn't even see it. I'm, that's not a pat on my back. Uh, I, I'm happy to do that, Matt. And uh, send me an email, Matt at 1045ESPN.com. We'll get you and your son up in, into studio. That'd be cool. Matt at 1045ESPN.com. Send me an email. 
Uh, and uh, Tim Witten, how much longer before Gavin Duga comes back? I was told last week that the target for Gavin Duga is to return in the midweek next week against Lamar and then to have him available for the Alabama series. So expect Duga on the shelf again next Tuesday, maybe get some hacks against Lamar, and they hope to have him play against Alabama next weekend. And let's see, any more? Alan Carey, what's the inside story on the Will Wade reinstatement? I don't think that there's an inside story. I think it's pretty obvious. The university wasn't going to uh, reinstate him until he met with them. He did, answered questions satisfactorily, so they reinstated him. As I said all along, LSU never wanted to fire Will Wade. If they did, he would have been fired a long time ago. Uh, And let's see if we can get one more here, running short on time. Shelby Kelly, I know this is out of left field. Do you think LSU missing on Applewhite was a blessing in disguise? Brady is more likely to stick around for a while than a guy that is a former head coach looking for a potential launching pad back into the head coaching spot. So understand this, Shelby. It's a really good question, interesting thought. Major Applewhite was not being recruited to LSU as an on-field assistant. He was being recruited as an analyst. And that would have been an interesting thought because he could have potentially coexisted with Joe Brady next year or whenever Steve Ensminger might step aside. Uh, Ensminger's going into the final year of his deal as the offensive coordinator. I'm sorry, he's got a three-year deal. But um, it's it's an it's an interesting thought, and uh, but again they were ha- they were looking at Applewhite as an analyst because Applewhite is getting buyout money from the University of Houston and didn't want to compromise that by signing a lucrative assistant deal, which is why he's doing something similar in uh, in Tuscaloosa this year. He'll take his year off, he'll collect his buyout money from Houston, and then he'll look to jump back into I'm sure an on field uh, uh, an on field role. All right, that's going to do it for us. It is the Locked on LSU podcast, your team every day. Thank you so much for listening. Please, please, please subscribe if you've not done so yet. We'll be back tomorrow. We'll preview the Wally Pond of Classic LSU, ULL, and baseball and any more developments here with LSU Hoops. It is Locked on LSU, your team every day.